At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. My name is Rob Snow White, and this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, episode number 260, featuring Ryan Hudson. And this podcast is brought to you by Corkers. Ryan is a fly fishing guide in Wyoming. In 2018, he wrote an article for a Wyoming newspaper titled, Fly Fishing Brand Ambassadors in Social Media, What Might They Be Doing to Your Fishery? The article has resurfaced on social media in the past few weeks, so I called up Ryan again to find out more, this time the audio recorded. We'll discuss the article, Detrimental Effects of Targeting Spawning Brown Trout, Ramifications to Social Media Users After Posting These Unethical Images, Bro Staffers, we'll talk about some travel, and one of the coolest stories I've heard in a while. For more on Corkers, visit corkers.com, and that's with a K. Corkers are my preferred brand of wading boots. And no other brand allows the angler to customize their traction with such a variety of options. They have felt sole, ideal for slippery aquatic environments, where felt is allowed and studs aren't an option. Klingon sticky soles, ideal for use on land, in boats, and in less demanding wet wading conditions. Studded Klingon soles are ideal for extremely slippery aquatic environments, where felt sole, again, is not an option. And finally, Klingon Sticky Soles, ideal for use on land, in boats, and in less demanding wet wading conditions. And after recording this with one take, let's go hear Ryan. We have Ryan Hudson. You want to introduce yourself and tell us who your celebrity doppelganger is? Celebrity doppelgangers, locally known as uh, Rye Hud. And uh, yeah, I'm the owner-operator head guide of the wyoming fishing company llc out here in uh snowy western wyoming 
on the upper Green River drainage, not to be confused with the Utah Green River. Same river, but I don't have anything to do with that and don't want nothing to do with it. Are you a native to Wyoming? Nope. Flatlander at heart from Missouri. Grew up uh, fly fishing and tying flies. I started tying flies commercially when I was about 13 and graduated high school Saturday. And Monday I was in Wyoming pursuing uh, what I didn't know would turn into a 17-year-later guide career today. How about that? Yeah, it's been fun. Can't complain. You know, it's led to many good experiences and lots of good fishing. So if we're going to throw a dart to your hometown in Wyoming, what's it called and where would it hit in western Wyoming? Uh, Western central Wyoming. And we're about an hour and 10 minutes southeast of Jackson Hole, Wyoming there with the Tetons and whatnot. But try not to go there too much. It's a busy place. Uh, This area of Wyoming is the least populated county and the least populated state in the nation. So uh, we definitely have our isolation and that's kind of why I'm here. It's because it's uh, not a lot of people and lots of good fishing. That's fantastic. I'm quite jealous of that. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's I, I can't complain. You know, I've already been floating down the river here already this month about a half dozen times and fishing's been great. So uh, when the coronavirus comes here, I might be hanging out with you. Yeah. It's isolated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although it may sound like I have it now, but uh, yeah, I think we're good to go here in Wyoming. You know, it's, uh, it's the middle of nowhere. It's snowy. It's cold. It's windy. It's pretty awesome for anybody looking to pursue a life in the outdoors and recreation that follows. So how did you become a professional fly fisherman once you got out there? Well, I came out here and began running a couple of trips my first summer out of high school on the Snake River there in Jackson. And and uh, from there, you know, I ended up getting a residency here in Wyoming, which allowed me to pursue my education at the University of Wyoming in Laramie. And while I was there, I was able to further expand my guiding area to the Bighorn, the North Platte, uh, as well as the Green and and smaller tributaries. And I didn't know it at the time. I always joked about having the ideal clientele. That'd be the perfect job where I could just guide 100 days a year and make what I want to make and have fun. And uh, didn't know it was possible until the last few years. I'm kind of realizing it's happened as I've kind of been, I've been internationally guiding Mongolia a couple times and uh, started hosting some trips. I hosted a trip down in Bolivia with Angling Frontiers uh, up in the Bolivian Amazon. I, I didn't go there with any booking agency. I, I went there with uh, my own clientele, guys that I have built. You know, made for a really fun experience. You got to play clean up behind them as the Dorado would uh, crash the sow below and made it a lot of fun. So kind of looking to pursue other destination fishing trips along with guiding around here and seeing what more of this life has got to offer. So if you're guiding right now, I'm, this is your slow season. Is this when you're normally going to be traveling? Yeah, it's the slow season. Not a lot of travelers, um, but there's quite a few guys locally, whether it's Wyoming, Utah, or Colorado, that got a case of cabin fever real bad. You know, I'll kind of hustle them up here usually every year by middle into January, and they're ready to go. I'm ready to go, and been tying flies all winter, so... Um, typically this time of year, it's, uh, it's all guys I've fished before. Matter of fact, the first trip I have every year is a guy in his mid eighties out of Western, Western Wyoming, a little further West of here. He's a neat old cowboy and, uh, he shows up every year, rain or shine, whether it's snowing two to five inches or, or, uh, 
you know, sunny and we go out and we fish, have a great time. And, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, and then from there it kind of leads into the, the spring season of the, the pre-spawn fishing. And, um, you know, one thing we have a plethora of here is the Rocky mountain whitefish and they are of considerable size. You know, we get a lot in that 16 to 19 inch range and it's easy. And this is no joke. It's easy to, to catch 10, 20 an angler a day. Now the last and, episode uh, we heard how good those are on the grill. They're good on the grill. Uh, since the last episode, I've been uh, pursuing them on the smokers. Matter of fact, that's what I'm doing doing today, smoking up some fish. And, uh, you know, they eat really good. I've actually had some guys tell me that they prefer the smoked whitey I do over uh, smoked trout. So um, being that the whitefish limit is six here in the Green River, you know, you bang out six of those things in that, you know, 16, 20-inch range. And uh, you know, those are some pretty fat fillets. They, they certainly don't compare to the larger lake whitefish, but – worthy fillets and you know there's such a plentiful resource that uh it'd be foolish not to not to at least try it so when eating fish out there do you have to worry about glowing in the dark when you wake up as if you were gonna eat fish out here <laughs> not not that i know of only thing they talk about is mercury but fortunately whitefish eat quite a bit of of insects so mercury levels are low in them and you know like i said our this is the least populated county in the state. You know, Wyoming uh, routinely holds that population of about a half million people. I think it's below a half million right now. So this county that I'm in, you know, there's just not much here. You know, there is quite a big natural gas field to the south of us. Have, haven't haven't woke up glowing yet, I should say. So That's fantastic. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. All right. So let's talk about some of the legalities of guiding and fishing in Wyoming being that you can go to other states and guide and other people come to your state. And this will bring us into the, the article you wrote. Well, Wyoming, it's one of the few states that doesn't require a guide license. Unlike Idaho, Colorado, or Montana that do, we do not. Um, however, depending on what land you're utilizing when you are, uh, you know, on the clock per se with your clients, that's going to dictate what type of permitting you need. Now, whether that's federal or state, one thing that's actually happened here recently is I've kind of ruffled the feathers of our local legislator and he feels the same that uh, there needs to be some sort of enforcement of our state lands around here because every year you're supposed to, it's, a, it's like a $250 fee to the state to use a lot of our state lands around here. But after uh, we looked into it. We discovered that there's only 11 outfitters statewide that actually buy this permit. You know, being that we we get a flood from guys all across, you know, whether it's Idaho or even Jackson or or Colorado coming up here to guide, they're able to kind of fly under the radar and utilize those lands and bring their dudes on it, and you know, not have to abide by any standard or professional certi certification or or anything like that. Now we do have some federal stuff here that does require permitting, but the enforcement on each of those lands doesn't really exist. Uh, the BLM claims they enforce stuff. I've never seen them. <laughs> and I know they've, they've actually said publicly that they busted me guiding illegally, which was pretty funny. I ended up finding the, the ranger who did it and he, he admitted to not or be, being mistaken there. You know, we got fish and wildlife land that's, that's regulated pretty good. The national park is, uh, the Bureau of Reclamation is, uh, you know, to this day you, you're still required to get a permit to do it. 
However, it's still kind of the wild west in that, you know, they just collect their their fees. And um, I mean, again, in 17 years, I've never been checked on BOR water, BLM water. I've, uh, I don't even think I've been checked on the BLM water either. Um, it's just been the Fish and Wildlife and National Forest and National Forest Federal as well. And, you know, they're pretty strict as well. But, you know, we've got quite a bit of water around here. I mean, on our river here, we've got well over 100 miles that can be floated at any given time whenever it's thawed out, unlike right now. So you really got to kind of do your research and figure out where you're going and and uh, do some digging. Um, one thing I've found with the state lands is that a lot of these older outfitters had no idea about the state permit that I was able to find out about right when I got out of college because I, I wanted to do this legally. And as I see it getting abused more and more, you know, these older outfitters are contacting me saying, what are you talking about? The state lands permit. We've never heard of this. We've been in business for 20 years, blah, blah. I'm like, well, it's, it's right there on their website. Um, so I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so it's, you know, and there's no book about how to do it. There's no tutorial. You know, this is a unique business to, to run out here, you know, whereas if you were in Colorado or Montana or even out east, you know, where they, they require a, a licensing, it, it at least kind of points in the right direction on what you need to do to be legit. Whereas here, I mean, I could just as easily not have insurance, not have any permitting. And uh, being that I've never been checked, you know, I, I could have easily been, been running a, a non-legit operation like a lot of outfitters do all around here you know, ne- never know the difference whether I was legal or not, because it's, you know, we're just out here in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, the, the authorities have only so many resources to check such a vast area that it makes it challenging. And it's kind of turning into a situation where the guides are doing a fair amount of the policing or reporting, you know, and that's one thing for us guys that are permitted on the particular water that has limited slots you know you see somebody there you know he's a guide you know he's guiding and you don't see the stickers on his boat and it's like well you know i mean i know i pay pay out my wazoo to to be here legally and this guy's just coming in poaching because you know if you think about it, it's a lot it's easy for a guy to come out of idaho montana colorado utah bring his dudes up here put them up at the hampton in town and uh not have to worry about a thing i mean again that you don't even have to show proof of insurance so it turns into a pretty complex issue that just made it uh, made it to the legislature last year. Started talking about it, and it sounds like as of last fall, a task force has been formed to do further researching on it this upcoming year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, potential guide legislation. Um, I'm not a big guy on additional laws or rules. I just think we need to enforce the things that are on the books. And that's one thing that I know the state lands does not do. There's no enforcement of the state lands permit. So um, when they're asking you to pay 200, 300 bucks a year, yet there's no enforcement and you know, there will be no enforcement. It's uh, a bit disheartening and, you know, it kind of makes you wonder if there's other options, if you know what I'm saying. What about the legality of bringing out of state boats into Wyoming? Well, if you're, you're talking commercial or just recreational, Either one. Well, if you're bringing a boat from any other state, it has to be checked. It has, you know, when you come to the port of entry, you got to stop, have it inspected. Wyoming is, to my knowledge, it is one of the only states that hasn't had any confirmed cases of uh, aquatic invasive species. Whereas Colorado, I can tell you, uh, Colorado is a high risk state. doesn't matter who you are. You come from Colorado with a boat and you... You already 
get to bypass the standard inspection, you're already in the high risk category um, because Colorado, you know, doesn't, you know, anybody knows what, what's Colorado's experienced in the last two, three decades in terms of, you know, invasive species. And it sounds like Montana, I thought Montana was off the list, but I, I believe I heard something that they had detected something up there. Idaho's got it. Utah, I believe Powell's got it. You know, whether it's zebra mussels or, I mean, there, there's just a wide variety of, of invasives, you know, whether it's plants, mussels, crayfish, fish. I know you guys got some interesting fish over there. That snakehead sounds like quite the fish. You could, you could throw a streamer at it on the dry, on the dry land, can't you? And it'll eat it. Uh, I mean, I've never seen them on the land unless they've been thrown up there. Yeah, you bounce <laughs> flies off their heads. They are already awake. I've been told I had a person send me a note over, I guess maybe email two weeks ago that they already saw them in one of the marshes that have boardwalks through it. And oh, it's the, it would be the greatest place to target snakeheads. However, they don't allow fishing. You'll have <laughs> three foot fish an arm length away. Oh man! And I would pay the county to let me go in there and throw some topwater frogs at them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, maybe uh, when I when I get a chance to come out to Fairfax, DC area, uh, it'll be legal then, and you and I can go try it. Absolutely. If you're fast enough, you probably grab one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm from Missouri, you know, as I said, and bow fishing and spear fishing kind of runs deep in my blood. We don't get to do that too much here, and that sounds like a fun thing to do out there, but. Hard to say if they'll let, let that fly. All right. All right. Let's talk about spawning fish. You mentioned it earlier, the pre-spawn in the springtime. Let's go talk about fall spawning and some of the things you've seen other people's do and, and what happens to brown trout once they're removed from their spawning areas. Well, what I have seen personally, you know, for, for one, starting from, you know, my day at 8 or 9 a.m. when I meet my dudes, if we're fishing in the spring or the fall and I know we're going to see spawning fish, before the boat's in the water, that's something I make clear. I say, you know, we're, we're going to see some fish on gravel. I'm going to tell you to pull your flies in. You can observe them. Probably going to see some big ones, you know, 24 to 30-inch fish. We won't fish to them. And I've, I've actually lost clientele due to that. Not many, but I think some guys just want to come out and uh, have an easy, easy target, which which they can be. So you know, during the spawn, I typically focus on the longer runs, the troughs, and usually when fish are spawning, whether it's browns or rainbows, you can always find cutties laid up looking for typically betas because betas are hatching when browns and rainbows are on gravel. Uh, when the cutties are spawning. You know, you've got browns and rainbows that are, you know, the rainbows are typically done, although you'll see some of them in there, but there's plenty of other fish around the river and in, in all sorts of water that are feeding actively that are, in my eyes, better or more appropriate to, to target. Now, what I see around here is I see a lot of guides coming in, and you know there's some that are targeting spawning fish, whatever. I mean, that's that's been happening since the beginning of time. Clearly, Alaska's built on pulling fish off of gravel, but that's a different scenario. You see those guides coming in. You see them post their dudes up in ankle-deep water. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right. 
and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com There's been times words have been exchanged, but... You know, you just kind of go on with your day because you see so much of it, and you know, you just tell guys. And a lot of the most guys I fish with, they get it. And if they don't get it, they get it by the end of the day. Why I don't do it? One thing, you know, since I put that article out a few years ago, folks said I'm jealous of the fame that uh, Mr. Duke has gotten off of it, or who he is in general. I catch plenty of big fish with my dudes every year uh, over the 24-inch range that aren't spawning, and. For me, you know, these fish, uh, I don't know each one of them personally, obviously, but I like to call them my business partners. And, you know, being that on the Green River, the Browns are all wild. And I know over the years, uh, the Game and Fish has reported the brown trout numbers are down. We don't know the brown trout number right now, but their population has historically been a little lower than preferred. Matter of fact, they've even considered stocking brown trout on the lower green below the Fontenelle Dam stretch in recent years. They haven't done it. So when we're relying on a solely natural population to carry on the future generation for me and you and, you know, our, our children to fish, you know, targeting them when they're spawning, not a good thing. A lot of guys will tell you, well, we're catching them. We're bringing them in quick, letting them go, not taking them out of the water. Everything's fine. Fine. That, that's, that's fair. One thing a lot of people don't know about, are two funguses that grow on fish is that white kind of mold that you'll see on fish spawning it's, it's for the rainbows it's typically the saprolegnia for the brown trout it is furunconosis and this is all facts you can find it in i believe it's the got the book here parasites of fishes in wyoming by douglas mitchum uh, it's the wyoming game and fish department's uh, handbook or, or or one of the books that they refer to heavily and i mean this i mean it's it's scientific data that furunconosis in particular that uh is the one that that the brown trout are susceptible to it's typically fatal every year in the fall i see 20 to 26 inch big beautiful dead males up on the bank you know colored up and this is the end of october november colored up they got white mold growing all over them as well as handprints and well you know some guys will even say well you know we you know we don't we just keep them in the net you know and we, we let them go fine fine but the stress of, of bringing them in promotes this type of growth on on the fish it allows them to be susceptible especially when they're touched and that slime is removed um, that is an open wound for this this fungal infection to, to get in and start growing on their host. Now, you know, the rainbows that they, they get the sapolegnia and I'm told that's not as fatal as furunconosis. One thing about those two, these two issues is, um, that white mold is transmittable to the red or the net or the eggs. And it has been known to kill the entire nest of eggs. So going back to, you know what I was talking about just a second ago. Well, you know, if you're handling them, or if you're not handling them, you're bringing them in quick, letting them go, fine. But that additional stress, then the next guy comes in, he pulls that fish off or pulls the next fish off, rubs it, and they can transmit that disease. Bang, that disease is already on the adults digging that gravel. And as they continue to progress through the spawn, 
lay the eggs, that disease is transmitted to the eggs, and it doesn't take a scientist to figure out what happens next. I mean, we're, we are shooting ourselves in the foot. So we have this population of wild browns. Um, sure, if, if you need your hero shot, whether it's put on Instagram or make the cover of American Angler or just to show your friends and your, your pissing match, you know, you're, you're still doing the fish a disservice and you're doing us a disservice. And what's ultimately going to happen is if that type of behavior continues and grows, you know, we're, we're going to be relying on, on a hatchery fishery, which for local state hatcheries, they think great, you know, it's, or I'm sure they think, well, it's just more fish. We got to produce more jobs. Sounds good. But, you know, for a guy like me who comes out here to target wild fish uh, in the summertime, especially on dry flies, you know, the rest of the year, you, you got to keep into account that you got to let them do their thing so they can make it to that point in the summer to connect that moment with you when they come up and eat your big foam bug, you know, which doesn't happen in a lot of the rest of the country. You know, here in the West, we have some of the best dry fly fishing there is, as far as I'm concerned. You know, even if they are hatchery fish, which a lot of our rainbows are hatchery fish, um, to know that we have this this population of browns that's sustaining, what? Why would we want to to hinder uh, that natural pr- reproduction? And well, fame obviously uh, is what a lot of people's you know argument is, or they're not. I'm not their argument, but and let's face it, that's why they you know they want to do it. You know, I I see too often where. You know, you see these guys uh, showing up, and you could tell the rigs they show up there, some sort of sponsored big shot. You know, when they're floating in the boat, you see them just kind of floating down the middle of the river. Their bow is, you know, going from left to right. They're holding no line in particular. And you can tell they just don't know what they're doing. And these are the times when I pull over and I just tell my guys, hey, let's just take a breather, you know, get a drink. These guys don't know what they're doing, and I'm sure it's not going to show them what we're doing here because that spot up there that I keep rowing up to is producing a fish every time. And they just floated right over it. But when those guys get to some shallow ankle deep water, man, they line up and they got their heavy dredge rigs on, you know, and it's only a foot or two deep, but they got plenty of weight on to make sure that fly is down. And, uh, you know, you see him really get at it and time and time again, just like Mr. Duke, you know, I saw him floated by him. I saw that exact, uh, little Howler brothers outfit he had on. I thought, man, I'm probably going to see that guy on Instagram. Well, before I seen him on Instagram, I, I seen him get busted by the game and fish uh, at the end of the day in the clothes section, which you can't miss its clothes. I mean, you can't. There's signs everywhere. I, I'm down there every fall. Uh, it, it, you can't miss that. Uh, you know, I thought, man, he's, he's probably going to be one of those guys. And uh, sure enough, you know, it popped up on, on American Angler, which is a magazine or a publication that I always enjoyed reading. But this is something you see all the time. You know, you see guys on spots where you know fish are spawning and you say, gosh, dang it, you know, I feel sorry for those poor fish. You know, for a guy like me, I mean, I'm out there back rowing the big runs, staying out in the wind typically because the wind blows in Wyoming all the time and keeping my dudes in the boat. Whereas for me, it could be a hell of a lot easier just to plant my dudes on a gravel bar and give them an egg and a worm and say, get to town. You see all those fish right there? Get at it. You know, this is this is my backyard here. I've been at it for 17 years here in Wyoming. I don't have a fishing club that's built my clientele. I don't have a trust fund. I lived in a leaky camper for multiple seasons, being a legitimate trout bum, just knowing that one day I'm going to get to where I'm at. You know, so now it's funny to see all these people on Instagram with all their swag and all their sweet gear and 
nice, pretty new hats. And, you know, they call themselves the, uh, oh, the, the Montana trout bum or the Colorado trout bum. No, that's, that's a bunch of baloney. Um, because I've been there, I know what a trout bum is and bums are poor, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Pe- people see that in you, you know, it's, it's not like you're out there with all this, you know, these Thomas and Thomas sage rods and nice, nice apparel. I mean, you're, you're a ragged looking dude. Um, but I think this day a trout bum has a different definition than what it did back then. Maybe that's just my opinion. I know the, but, the uh, term pro staff on Instagram is 90% fishing. And then there's uh-huh. someone with tennis rackets. But the yeah. only people that tag themselves pro staff are Instagram people. Yeah. That fish. Yeah, it's a, it's quite an interesting turn of events in the last Dilemma. decade. You know, what's what's been happening on social media and you know, it's like, I'm not going to say this guy's name, but he's got 17,000 followers. And I just saw he followed me yesterday and I thought, man, who, who are you? How do you have these many followers? Cause you, I mean, these are just, just little 12 inch fish. You're not doing anything special. Oh, you got a, you got a fish. You plucked off a red there. 400 likes, a thousand likes. I don't get it. You know, that, that's a whole different world out there. And, you know, fortunately for me, I just kind of hole up out here and Wyoming or wherever I'm fishing and keep my nose down and it's worked out really good. You know, I, I, I can't complain. It's, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I forget I'm working every day and being able to take clients that I've fished with for years on end out here in the American West, being able to take them internationally, you know, again, no, no yellow dog or Sweetwater has helped me out here, but to be able to build something and grow on it, and, and take those guys into places where, you know, you, you, you forget where you are. You know, when we were in the Bolivian Amazon last October, I mean, we were way back in there. I mean, when I guided in Mongolia, we were way back in there, but when we were in that Amazon. I mean, I've never felt that remote in my life. I mean, there was no road around for days on end. Uh, Mongolia, you at least got two tracks here and there. You know, to, to get to that point and then to see uh, these people call themselves pro staffers and then you see them fish. And that's that's the biggest joke about it all, you know, and, and then you realize it's all just a big joke. And that's why you just stick to your guns and t- keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I have an issue with people that just brag about all their pro staff and sponsorships that they're known for that, but not known for their craft or talent. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, that's, all, that's the resume is straight up. Hey, I'm a pro staffer, so I'm awesome. Yeah. Versus I'm extremely talented and I share my knowledge and I help others and I clean up the environment. Yeah. You know, and I'm trying, trying to get something going here. Uh, you know, like I talked about the guide legislation, you know, I, I don't want to see more legislation, but something needs to be done if we want to preserve the experience we have out here. You know, that's what people come out here to do. They come out here to, you know, whether it's Montana, although Montana is getting pretty busy, uh, but the American West, provides an experience that goes unmatched around the rest of the country in terms of trout fishing. And for me, I see it as if, if nothing is done, it's, you know, we're going to turn into a place where we're seeing 20, 30 boats a day. And that's not why I'm here. So, you know, I try to do things around here locally, although it's tough being an entrepreneur and a family man, you know, keeping on, on top of everything, you know, there's, there's people that are passionate about it and it shows, and there's people like you're talking about the, the, the bro staffers that, uh, 
you cut out for a second. I just uh, just bro, bro staffers. Right. Bro staffers are in there for, you know, the fame and glory, you know, and I get it. People want that. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, why, why do we fish here to begin with? Why, what, what got you fishing years ago? It's because it's fun, you know, and, and, and you like to share that experience with people. And now guys go out and catch one big fish and, you know, they see all the likes they get and they say, well, that was kind of cool. And they get this free stuff and well, fair enough, but you still can't fish. <laughs> right. What in the, the subject of preservation, these trout are spawning in the same spots annually, correct? Yeah. So people are just, are they going from red to red to red on their float down? Like they've already got them mapped out. They know where they're going to go snag a spawning fish. Well, I wouldn't say they're going to go from red to red. They're going to fish the places in between those, whether or not they're catching fish in there or not is a different story. And that's the water that, that I target. Um, cause I know those are all fish that another term or kept on ice for me because I know most of the time these guys, you know, they're putting their boat right over top of the fish and you know, that's an easy end. you know, whenever you see those guys floating, that's typically, yeah, yep. They're, and I'll even tell my, my, my guys I'm taking fishing for the day. I say, you see that spot where you even get those fish and I watch this boat. We're going to pull over and just to see where they float, see where they're fishing. And you know, of course, most guys, you know, they, they gotta be throwing their, their big streamers and, uh, Streamer you know, they're just floating down the middle of the river and just seeing how far they can throw their freaking loop that's 20 to 30 feet wide and <laughs> and throw that big streamer just so they can say they're hucking meat as a, a bro staffer you know which fine fair enough you know but um every year our biggest fish come off nymphs you know last year the biggest fish i got personally on my day off was a 27 inch brown and i let my dude go through there throwing streamers caught a bunch of little cutties i came through behind him played cleanup 27 inch brown on a turd um so you know, if you like to go cast your arm off, that's fine. If it makes you feel cool. You know, streamer fishing's fun. I love it. It's good right now. Um, I was throwing streamers all last week. It was a lot of fun. But at the same time, you know, there's there's a fine line of just, uh, you know, these guys are just strictly, you know, hucking meat, you know. With their $15 fly? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, to be fair, it's, it's fun. You know, a lot of these guys tie flies. Again, I, I've been tying flies commercially since I was 13. It's fun tying big streamers, and it's fun watching fish come out and eat them. It's not the most practical. No. You know, I, I like to work smarter, not harder. Right. Now, but. what about people that like to brag about this? Let's say Facebook Ronnie, who most of the negative things about him have seemed to be scrubbed on the Internet, and he appears to be a full-time guide in the South Holston area now. Yeah. He's beat back. He's Can't believe retur- it. Yeah, he he beat the, the haters and isn't posting about standing over a red all night with a headlamp with a fish on the stringer. Yeah. Well, you know, I think guys like that always find support somewhere. You know, this is a very diverse country. There's a lot of different people out there. You know, it's like with this incident about the American Angler article, you know, I, I'm blown away that people still support somebody like that. I mean, I got buddies that do stuff like that and you're still buddies with them, but you say, Hey man, what, that, that was kind of stupid, huh? I mean, that was five cracks in one day. Why, why can't you just stick to one? Uh, so it's, <laughs> again, I, only thing I can chalk that up is too, is there's a lot of people that, well, there's a lot of different people again in this country and, and perhaps old Ronnie, he's, he's got guys that uh, feel the same way as he does. And I know he's come all apologetic and did the South park. I'm sorry. You know, that guy didn't quit what he's doing. I'm sure he, he's just he just being a little more selective on what he posts. 
what was the reception from your article, which was in 2018, and it was all over Facebook last week. Somebody must have seen it and posted it, and it just well, got shared know, and shared. And what are you drinking there? I've just got a plain Coke, empty Coke. What are you, what are you libating well, on? Well, I got a kind of got this Bloody Mary recipe dialed, so um, it's what I do when I smoke smoke meat, so or fish, I should say. But yeah, I'm still getting emails about folks reaching out to me. Uh, it's funny, you reached out here the other day, and prior to that, I had a guy who's been doing it, doing a fly fishing school in Australia for the last 30 years reached out, and you know, when it first happened, it was overwhelming. All positive support. Had a couple folks that kind of said, oh, you're just jealous, blah, blah. It's like, all right, so so how, how, how am I jealous? Because I, I, I don't have to work for anybody. I, I have my own operation. It's a killer operation. Got a ton of private water I get on, and I'm my own boss. So unlike uh, you know, we'll use Old Duke as an example. I don't, I don't have a, an outfitter to, to bow to or a boss to bow to. I've got great clients that are great friends at this point. And further, you know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, doing destination trips, I, I don't have to have somebody set it up for me. I think it was David Leck or Leek. Who's that guy? He's Duke's buddy. Um, he runs is a yellow know. dog or Sweetwater, one of those um, yeah. that that uh, that Duke goes out with on the hosted trips. And the guy's name's David Leaker, L E A K E. He he was one that got on got on me on Facebook, saying I you know destroyed this young man's career. And and that was the other thing is I was told why didn't you reach out to him? Well, we did the guy that publishes or that runs the newspaper that I published the article under, we reached out to Patrick and he said we were full of shit. It's like, okay, well wrong. And so that's one thing I've been met with is people say, well, you know, you, you know, you're, you're, you're jealous and this and that. Well, first off, no, um, I got a killer operation. I catch bigger fish than that, that aren't spawning and half the time I need to dry fly. And, uh, when I go take trips places, I, I, I set the trip up. I am the, the the booking agent, whereas I don't refer to a company to set it up for me. So, you know, and the other thing was that I had this gripe for uh, Mr. Duke that this was a thing between two guides. Never met him. Don't know him. He's probably a fun guy to be with. I'm sure he is. Uh, since that article has been put out, I've fished with a few guys that have hosted trips with him, and they're great guys. And I'm sure Pat is just the same as those guys. Um, however, in this particular situation, when you go to a different piece of water, that's not your home water and you do this and the locals see what you're doing, you, you do what you did. It's like, well, you kind of set yourself up here to, to be exposed. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to put an article together like this for years, but I never had the right, the right, uh, example. And this was just beyond a perfect example. Do you think it affected people becoming pro and then bro staffs in the industry? Or do you think this was just kind of a blip on the radar? People took notice, but it didn't, didn't punish anybody for doing unethical, unethical things with fish or while fishing uh, and getting free stuff. I think it's just a blip, you know, unfortunately this country is so big and fly fishing has become so popular that yeah, ju just a blip, you know, I, it's it's interesting to hear people still talking about it, but I still see 
guys doing what they what they do come spawn in time and you know i try to be as nice as i can about it until they just tell me to go pound sand and it's like all right man well you know these these fish i i see them every day when i'm on the water you know you're just up here for the weekend and you know so but you know fishing spawners it's it's not an illegal tactic so it's just one of those things you just gotta bite your tongue and say well all right guys let's just head on down to this next run and see what we got do you know if ryan was picked up by anybody since he lost his i think it was his rod sponsorship maybe i think he's got someone uh, else to pick him up and, and give him some free sticks i, I don't know be talking patrick right I think yes ryan. i don't know yeah i mean I've, I've seen you know through the instagram feed i see him and other guys you know the same crew of people on hosted trips and I, you know kind of going back to what you're saying it's like wow there's still people that would support somebody like that i mean i didn't come out bashing and slandering the guy that was just truthful you know like this anybody on their home fishery if this would have came and done this if, if somebody would have came and did this on some guy's home fishery anybody in their right mind would would, would want to do exactly what i did especially on a fishery like what we have here where it's all wild fish and their numbers are down and there's such a high chance of them dying after you you do something like that you know i mean come spawn time especially october in the fall my boat does not catch many brown trout and i got so many people that say well that brown trout run and i say look man we're gonna nymph the runs and i'll have a dry fly rod rigged up with uh, an adult and a cripple betas and we'll look for sippers. October, November, do not see many browns at all. And I'm, I'm honest with people on that. You know, it's because I don't fish around gravel. Oh, well, it was caught off with a drop behind the gravel, and uh, those aren't spawners. Nah. No, that, that's typically during the daylight. That's where the big fish is sitting, who have been hustling that red all night. So now what, what I'm starting to see is a lot of these big browns being posted in October or November at night. Huh. Okay. Well, who, 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 who wants to go fishing at night when it's cold? Not a lot of people, unless you know, there's going to be a 25, 30 inch fish getting up, you know, where you can put your light on him and he's not going to move, you know, during the daytime, they're extremely skittish, but nighttime, nah, man, they're out there doing what they're going to do. Right. Yeah. So during the day they, they move back into the drop and they just hunker down and rest and get ready for the next night of sending it you know uh so that's that whole statement well the drop behind the 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 red come on really you know and for me i mean i'll even have guys that say well can we just fish the drop behind the red no man we're let's just wait and there's times i mean i'm i'm not impervious to accidentally hitting fish behind gravel i mean every year i see reds in new spots whether it's been here on the green been on the bighorn in college or the platin college you know, there's your traditional reds, and then, you know, the next year comes by, and after the high water comes in, there's gravel. There's a little gravel hump that washed up in some spot, and, you know, there's all of a sudden this year there's fish spawning on it. Uh, that's It's a really neat thing to, to witness, you know, so as you're floating through and all this, you know, it's, and there's a lot of times, you know, we'll find fish in four to six feet of water spawning, especially on the North Platte and that Gray Reef section. You know, there's times you come through and you, you pick a fish up and you say, oh man, this, you know, it's, it's milking and you kind of thinking as you're drifting, oh man, that's, that's, 
that's kind of a tan spot there, even though it's like four or five feet deep, it's fast water, you know, but at that point, you know, you're just, you're just noticing as you're coming through at the time, you know, and that's typically during the high water cutty, you know, when the cutties are spawning, the rainbows are pretty easy to, to see as well as the browns, but cutties is a time when I find myself just accidentally picking up fish that I'm fairly certain they're spawning because, you know, the water's up and moving and in our rivers, the cutties are, you know, especially the tailwater, they, they're forced to stay in the main stem. They can't go up any tributaries because there are none. So there's times there where I pick up cutties and think, oh man, that fish was, I'm pretty sure that thing was spawning, you know, but just know next time not to, not to run that line, you know, just pull it over 10 feet or run to the other side of the river. You know, that's why it's called fishing and not catching them. But it's one thing to accidentally do it, but to go out there and just stand on spawners all day, you know, it's whole different ball game and what about doing that all day getting getting the picture and then from major publication to put it out there i would not have looked at that trout's lower lobe of the tail published in american angler if you had not pointed it out maybe because i'm not as much of a trout angler i don't see browns during the spawning season yeah and that's that's something a few you know even uh forget the guy's name the editor of american angler at the time he said he didn't even see it um but for me you know it's dealing with the spawn you know it didn't start here on the green this was something in college when i was on gray reef and the miracle mile we were told by the outfit i worked for you don't fish spawners you just don't um there's plenty of other fish in the river you can just as easily have a 40 fish day and not fish spawners and so this was something, you know, even though I was trying to learn in college uh, when I was physically in class, which I didn't really learn much of anything, it seems, that was one thing I took from college was I could, you know, I, I understood the importance of leaving wild fish alone. Because when I was a kid in Missouri, you know, I would go and fish these little small Ozark streams and, uh, you know, they were not full, but there was small wild rainbows in there. And of course, the Missouri Department of Conservation stocks hatchery fish all over the state those are easy to catch but at an early age i was able to develop the appreciation for wild fish and what they represented and so i'd go out on these little creeks whether it was mill creek the little piney the current you know you'd catch your little five six ten just ten incher would be a big fish there or big for me as a 13 14 year old that ate the fly that i created or tried to mimic off of a magazine i saw and so as an early age, I, I started to really appreciate wild fish because they're much more beautiful than the hatchery fish. And there was just something there that really drew me to it. So fast forward, I get out here and I get in college and I've been guiding for a couple of years and I start guiding on the North Platte there outside Alcova, you know, to, to have that notion drilled into my head of, you know, hey, you don't fish spawners. I, mean, I instantly agreed with it and I saw what it represented. You know, it's, this isn't a hoity-toity you know, sniffing my own farts type of thing. I mean, this is just something that, you know, we as a collective, if we want wild fish to stay around, we probably need to let them go and not fish those fish. Now, to be truthful, the North Platte, there's so many freaking fish in that river. It's unbelievable. I mean, there's every year they get fish counts of four to six, 7,000 fish a mile. Whereas over here on our, on our river, below Fontenelle Dam, which mind you is a tailwater, we every year consistently we it seems that we cannot break six seven hundred fish a mile i mean 
the, the river's full of crustaceans, full of aquatic insects, full of leeches, full of bait fish. But for some reason, we can't even break a thousand fish per mile. Now, this is according to the Game and Fish. I don't. I, I believe last year they shocked and they they think it was about six seven hundred. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. But and I actually helped shock a few years ago, and that year they determined it was about six seventy a mile in certain stretches. That's not a lot of fish compared to the Fort Smith Bighorn, compared to the Madison, compared to the North Platte, compared to the Colorado. Although I don't know what the Colorado's got, but I mean all those other more famous Western tailwaters have significantly more fish than us. So, you know, to be truthful, the North Platte could probably handle as much spawning pressure from anglers or much pressure from anglers during the spawn as possible, and it'd probably be okay. Um, on a river like this, you know, like I said, I got out of college in Laramie, and I lived in a leaky camper, gave up a social life, gave up everything to to just donate myself to, to fishing and this passion that now is, is is my occupation. So there's kind of something deeply rooted there. And knowing that we have, you know, Again, 600 fish a mile over here versus 6,000 a mile. I mean, that's one whole zero less. That's a big. That's a big number that that zero represents, you know. And so I started to develop that appreciation for those wild fish. And again, for, as a kid, I, I always thought they were great. But you know, can't come out here. It all became full circle for me and understanding that hey, you know, this is this is our future here. Now, granted, there's a lot of wild, or there's a lot of rainbows that are stocked in the river and cutties as well, but a lot of natural recruitment amongst those two species. But again, the browns are 100% natural. You know, again, it was just being able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And um, once I got done with college, you know, I thought, man, there's just absolutely no reason to mess with spawning fish. Absolutely. I mean, really, do you, are you that much of an incompetent angler that you got to go and pluck a big fish off a of gravel. Yeah, it's like roofing a girl because you don't have game. <laughs> there's, there's ways to Bingo. cheat. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Speaking of spawning, you've got a second kid coming. I do. He is due the middle of July, or he or she is due the middle of July, and which we're very excited for. Um, Mama is a fishing guide here at the Wyoming Fishing Company as well. Unfortunately, she will be out of the roster this year. But yeah, we're uh, we've already had had our youngest little Eddie. We've had him out in the boat. And is it spelled E D D Y? Yeah, it is actually. That's awesome. It's been fun. Unfortunately, we can't have mom in the guide rotation this year, but uh, there's always next year. I think it's been three days since I had a bagel thrown at me by my eight year old, or thrown in my direction. <laughs> Yeah, oh my God. yeah. I, I had a bagel with cream cheese hucked at me this or just a little piece of it, you know, but it was hucked at me this morning. He's got an arm on him, which hopefully that translates to a good fly cast. Your kid knows the difference between throwing something at their parent. Mine doesn't. 
Ugh. I'm sorry. I should say that at least my kid is the age where she knows she's not supposed to be throwing things. Yours oh. gets a, a pass. Yours is younger. <laughs> so what else yep. is someone going to see on a float with you? You mentioned some of the aquatic organisms underneath the water. What's flying around or walking up on the ground? Well, out here we are, it's kind of the high, high sage desert. You can see the Wind River Range off in the distance from most of the Green River, whether you're above or below Fontenelle Reservoir, which has our tallest peaks. Contrary to what a lot of people think, the Grand Teton in Jackson Hole is not the tallest peak in Wyoming. Gannett Peak is, and that is uh, just north of, of where I'm standing right now, probably by about 15 or so miles. So you see the mountains around, but plenty of sage. Below the dam is a bit more of a desert. I kind of like to call it an oasis down there because when you're down the river, it's it's kind of like a nice, lush little oasis. And, you know, even down that far, one wouldn't think so, but you see quite a few moose, or locally known as swamp donkeys. Quite a bit of desert elk, too, although they're not very abundant, but uh, there's definitely elk out in the desert below the dam there. And... I've even seen a wolf down there. There's been wolf sightings, wow, um, you know, cool. since the wolf, yeah, since the wolf reintroduction in Yellowstone uh, a couple decades ago. There's, uh, you know, they've expanded and traveled across Wyoming. And uh, I think the last time I seen one down there was three, three or so years ago. It was pretty wild to see a big black animal with uh, pointy ears and a big, uh, big black tail, you know, running out there in the sage. But they're definitely there. And then of course you got a plethora of birds. You know, that's a we're in quite the migration corridor of a lot of waterfowl. Uh, in the spring, we see some ibis coming through, lots of different ducks. One thing that the Green River Basin prides itself on is the sage-grouse population, which this is kind of the, the core area for sage-grouse in the American West. And, of course, they're the poster child of anti-natural gas extraction throughout here. But uh, a lot of guys like to hunt them, and um, I've hunted them a few times. Uh, I'd prefer to tie flies with their feathers over eating them, I can tell you that. I think um, they Paul, make one of the most interesting noises of all animals. Or maybe yeah. I'm thinking of prairie chickens. Let's prairie chickens, too. You know, they're very kind of similar to the sage grouse and what they do uh, in their mating rituals you know they get out and strut like turkeys yeah the sage grouse you know they'll puff up their their necks i don't know what they call them but their necks get all puffy and their spiny tail fluffs you know fans out like a strutting turkey and it's it's pretty neat to witness that in the spring aside from that you know golden eagles bald eagles osprey you name it there's just every sort of bird and of course we got uh some of the most, some of the bigger herds of pronghorn antelope out here, we call them speed goats. And then also the green, the green river drainage is a huge migration corridor of mule deer throughout Western Wyoming. And, you know, this is where we see some extremely large mule deer, you know, pushing or exceeding the 200 inch class, which, you know, is just a huge deer to, to really think about otters too, you know, lots of those guys running around and, um, Something we're seeing now, uh, this goes back under the water, but um, kind of got a problem over here, and that is the invasive burbot or the lingcod. Uh, they have been introduced on this side of the divide. And matter of fact, when I was floating the river 
two, three days ago, we counted, I think, three dead ones that got kind of pushed through the turbines at the dam. And I'm guessing that's what happened. They just get pushed through the turbines in the lake. And, you know, they get anywhere from 15 to 30-plus inches long and kind of some gnarly-looking creatures. But uh, oh, they call them the poor man's – yeah. But uh, they, they call them the poor man's lobster because it's uh, pretty good eating white meat, especially if you're, uh, you know, a, a real trout bum living off a trout. And you go to eat one of those things, you say, man, I need to catch more of these guys. Yeah, someone posted on – Instagram last week that they caught one, Montana or Wyoming, and I was just like, I didn't think they were down there. But so yeah, yeah. someone dumped them in. Yeah, they them. went and got them. Uh, at least I was told they were transported from the Bighorn drainage and brought to Flaming Gorge and put in there. And Flaming Gorge, I mean that's that's down south a little ways of us here, and they've made it through Fontenelle Dam all the way up into the Green and the New Fork River right here behind my house. The furthest I've caught them is uh, just outside of La Barge. They're nocturnal, so there's times, and this has happened on more than one occasion, where when the sun is high and you got good visibility from the boat looking down into the water, you can see them sleeping on the sand flats. Cool. And being that this side of the state, it's a mandatory kill on them, you can snag them legally. It's pretty fun to spot them on the sand flats sleeping because you can go and anchor right next to them and stick the tip of your fishing pole down there, stick them with the rod, and just yank them right in the boat and... I mean, you're, you're just harvesting at that point, you know, there's no sport in it. Um, but that's, that's a promoted activity because they're invasive and, you know, it's believed that they have an impact on our trout populations over here because they're such a predatory fish. You got to come down to DC and see the snakehead snagging. Yeah. One of the most bizarre things, every 10 feet on the shoreline for about a mile will be some dude with a snagging rig. And then the snakeheads, they come up to breathe and they're swimming along shore because they're lazy fish and there's least current. So they kind of just follow the shoreline. Yeah. And they come up to breathe or they're in shallow waters and these dudes just snag them. And we're talking 40 inch fish. Jeez. That's uh, a big fish. They're probably worth more on the black market than a, a burbot. Big, big expensive fish, I suppose. Yeah. They're worth like 90 bucks on the black market in D.C. <sighs> For one big snakehead. Yeah. These guys are out there every day that I'm out there guiding for shad. Same dudes, same rock. They'll sit there and snag all day and then go home at dusk. It's like, it's their job now. Wow. Invasives creating jobs. Interesting. Yeah. We also accidentally foul hooked an invasive turtle last year. It smelled. I used to work for the FDA and I'd ride my bike through Georgetown in the summer. And I would drive or I would ride past all these restaurants that had all their leftover seafood out all night in the heat. And oh. that is the same smell of where was I going? I just lost my train of thought. The turtles. Yeah. So that turtle smelled just like those dumpsters of shrimp chunks and whatever left over all night. The whole air around that turtle smelled. It was some kind of soft shell. It, it, I mean, my client, I think she had her nose covered. It was disgusting. So yeah. how, how do those turtles get in there? I Asian mean, grocery from... stores. Oh. oh, there's aquariums that have who knows what. That's where I get my fly time material, too, at those grocery stores. Yeah. I get my yarn there. Yeah. Jo- Joanne Fabric. Great, oh, no, great th- place. This is Korean yarn. Oh, 
Yeah, and it makes the easiest woolly bugger. You just palmer it on. It's all synthetic, and you've got a little body. Yeah, no need okay. for chenille if you're tying a bugger. I'll nice. send you a picture of it. Korean scrub yarn. Yeah, those those definitely work out here, so I will take you up on that. Yeah. Anything we forgot to go over with the article and ethical fishing, your, your life in Wyoming? No, I think that uh, covers it for now. Glad we were able to reconnect and yeah, talk about it, you know, and it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens in this industry. You know, I've certainly seen a, a few articles come up since that that have kind of not ridden off the tailcoat of it, you know, picked up where I left off on my main point on what social media and these brand ambassadors are doing. And I mean, I'm, I'm anxious to ride again. I miss doing it. Unfortunately, my nose has been down and, um, anymore these days, I, I see bad things going on. It's just like, you know, guys, let's just focus on the fish here. But that day in October, it was hard to, hard to look away when all that happened because, Even as I did boogie down river when I came back up river, it was right in my face again. And I thought, wow, okay, this is really happening. But we'll, uh, we'll see what happens here in the future. Hopefully, um, you know, some of these companies begin to or, or, they have responsibility. Like yeah. Or at least just promote, just, ethical. Hey, you know, quit, quit trying to, yeah, be, be ethical. Quit trying to blow yourself up because in five years from now, 10 years from now, you're probably going to have a real job and this will all be water under the bridge. So don't promote being a dumbass. you know, that should be a bumper sticker. Yeah. Just yeah. be good. You know, we're all here to catch wild fish. Bottom line. Do, do we want to, I mean, do, do we, do you and I and everybody else want to go out and bang fish off gravel and hinder any sort of natural recruitment these trout are going to do? Or, or do we, want to sustain what we have because this is this is what brought us here you know i mean who who wants fin clipped fish who, who wants fish with no dorsal fins you know or clipped adipose or you know rubbed off pectorals or you know rounded off noses because they kept running into the cement walls at the hatchery no we want big beautiful wild fish intact fish so we can talk about their spots their colors and what what made that experience so great because you know there, there's no denying the, the distinction between hatchery and wild fish and what type of experience each one provides hatchery fish are great but um you know everybody loves catching wild fish indeed all right i got some random questions for you now yeah is there a good sandwich place in your desolate neck of the woods yeah there's uh oboe's market in delhi the owner's a, a friend and a client of mine, and I think he makes the best, best food around. He's got a location here in Pinedale as well as one in Marbleton, which is about 25 minutes south. Man, other than that, that's about it. Um, got a few places to try. Um, there's the junction just up the road from here, but uh, I, I prefer Oboe's quite a bit more. With all your international travel and you're fishing in one of the premier locations on earth for trout, do you have a favorite place you like to go that is just your ideal fishing location? Other than where I live, 
Um, tell you what, with those boys at uh, Angling Frontiers, Patrick and Federico, those Jungle Dorado was, uh, was a surreal experience. If you've never done it, I highly suggest doing it. Straight out of National Geographic. And these aren't little fish. I think the whole trip, we caught one fish that was under 25 inches. The bulk of them were in that 10 to, I don't think I caught any 20 pounders, but double digit fish. And there was usually, you know, they, 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 they'd hunt in packs. So whenever you'd see one, you'd see six to 10 or 20 more and they're all big and they're all typically headed your way because you're working up river. They're working down river, pushing the saw below to the tail out of the run. And then it hits the fan as they start eating the saw below and it's just goes unmatched. I mean, steelhead on the swing is magical uh, unfortunately here in the states it's it's kind of got a grim situation right now mongolian taming is awesome especially when a 40 50 inch fish comes up and crashes um pretty much a bass popper or a gurgler uh but that jungle experience um and this isn't marsh fishing this was in the jungle um it's pretty pretty darn cool um gives me goosebumps talking about it right now so if so. you had a groundhog day where you woke up to fish the same location over and over would it be down there oh boy that's a tough question i do enjoy my surface fishing you know down there it's it's sight fishing but you're fishing a big streamer and throwing a nine weight um which is a lot of fun but doing that day in and day out maybe i just haven't had the privilege to do that all the time i mean we're fishing five and six weights here but I'd say if it wasn't there, it'd be a couple of little spots around here, little off-the-grid spots that will most likely never make it to the Internet. That's a good thing. You know, well, either one of those two. All right. If you could choose a superhero's powers to make you a better angler, what would you choose? Well, I'd probably just say Superman so I can uh, strap my cape on and fly wherever I want to that morning and go fishing. Heck, yeah. What innovation in the last, say, decade in fly fishing of some kind of modern technology can you not live without now? Well, being that I'm a guide uh, on a western tailwater, I'm going to catch a lot of crap for it, but man, the thing, I'm a bobber. I thought Tell if you, you had said white claw, I would have been like, uh, hmm. <laughs> thing no, the thing, a bobber, you know, that, that thing really just uh, makes your day a lot easier, especially when the wind's howling 20, 25 all day and you know, here in Wyoming, a lot of the land is private, which means the, or, or the river is private, you know, so you can't be dropping anchor. You can't get out and fix up everything. So you can't get out and comb out your yarny and can't get back up again. A lot of times you're just rowing over into an eddy and sit there and hopefully get everything dialed in before the wind blows you right back out into the run. Do you have a size and, or color preference? No. Well, that, that, that third size up that not the real big one it's not the little one not the medium size one but the great big one goldilocks that that's for my dude fishing days i'd say as far as something else that that i couldn't live without probably you know sink tip you know th these sink tips are pretty good these days and they, they seem to be getting better but that's just what i'm fishing if if i'm going to be throwing streamers but again as i said earlier i i'm not against nymphing and catches usually catches my biggest fish annually so thing bobber just makes it a lot easier and uh 
yeah, gets the job done. Are there any urban legends out where you live? Uh, I don't know if this is a legend. I know it's fact, but uh, there's a spot on the river we float by every day right across from Slate Creek where one of the landowners there, he was putting in, this was two years ago, he was putting in a par three golf course. And this is out in the middle of nowhere. Putting in a par three golf course on his property. And I'd float by every so often and I'd see a, a guy in a, you know, bulldozer out there pushing dirt around. And I noticed he quit one day and a few months go by and I run into the BLM guy and the BLM guy tells me that they quit because they found a skeleton under this little cliff that they were trying to plow over that was dated 6,000 years old. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Old for me is the 1960s. I grew up in a town that wasn't built or it's not really a town, but you know, I grew up in a house that was built in, in like 72. Mm-hmm. So that thousands of years old boggles my mind. Yeah, they found it. Uh, it was curled up in a fetal position just under a, just a little slight rock outcropping. And they assumed that the nomadic traveler was moving through and a storm hit. So they sought, or it, it sought shelter under this little outcropping. And then a little bit of snow or apparently a lot of snow sloughed off and you know, as, as as it was sleeping in a fetal position, just buried it right there, and bang, wow. six thousand years later, we find it. Coincidentally, that spot we named it the Skeleton Corner, but that spot, uh, biggest fish I've boated while guiding, was there. I've hooked two more fish that were bigger than that, and the biggest fish that we got there was just a little over twenty-eight inches, a great big old brown trout. But I know several guys that have gotten their biggest fish in that corner, and I've always felt that there was something magical about that corner. And hearing that story was kind of seals the deal for it, you know. So every time I float by, matter of fact, I floated by it three times last week. Ed McMahon and, would say that's wild stuff. It's wild. It's wild. That's pretty crazy. Uh, let's see. What's something that you used to carry with you when you fished a lot, guided at the beginning, and then just realized, you know what, I just don't need that anymore. My life's much easier not hauling X around. Well, m- making sure you don't, well, I used to be fairly fond of certain hats anymore these days, as long as it keeps the sun off of me, you know, that's, that's good enough. But man, something I used to haul around all the time, eesh. Oh man, you know, I mean, out here, any guided trip I go on, I've got a dry fly rod, a nymph rod, and a streamer rod set up. And that streamer rod, I've got another spool with a different line, whether it's an intermediate or a heavier sink tip, ready to be put on it. So, um, you know, you kind of have to be fairly ingenuitous out here or resourceful. So I kind of roll around with a lot of stuff, unfortunately. So that's a tough one. I don't know if I can answer that one right now. If you only had one type of bird to tie with for the rest of your life, which bird would you choose? Hungarian partridge. Nice. Never purchased one of those online. That has to be always purchased in person. I ordered one online and I was thoroughly not pleased. Well, you know, fortunately we, we got them around here. Did you Um, shoot them? Yeah. Damn. Yep. You know, so it's, I, uh, I actually just replenished my hun stash. Oh, just this winter. Um, but in running out of hun stuff, I was able to, you know, I hunt quite a few ducks locally. 
and if you really pick every feather off of them ducks, you can typically find the soft hackle you're looking for. Now, granted, huns, you don't tie dry flies with the hun hackle, but I think a soft hackle is tough to beat. You know, that'll catch fish all the time. Now, I'd like to say, you know, grizzly, you know, gold, gold medal, uh, grizzly neck, rooster neck, you don't always get the, the opportunity to throw dry flies as much as you want. So, but I would say, you know, as far as the bird, I, I think if a guy was to just have a whole rooster, you know, well, you got everything from the slapping all the way up wings to his beak, you can probably tie about everything you want. So I take that back. We'll put hun number second, big, big rooster, right. uh, full, full thing though, slapping to beak. I'm looking out my window right now and it's still midwinter and everything's in bloom and the birds are starting to nest. What are you looking forward to in springtime? And is there something that always signifies the start of spring? Man, live? we live at 71, 7,200 feet here. Um, right now I got eh, just shy of two feet of snow in my yard. This so, is going to be the first February with no snow in the DC metro area in 43 years. That's crazy. I mean, it's, we haven't gotten to the negative 40 stuff here this year, but, um, I mean, it's just been in the negatives for so long here. Um, what I look forward to is, you know, I'll take some snow, but a little bit of mild April temps so we can actually throw some betas adults. Betas hatch hasn't been as great as it had been about five, six years ago, at least for me. I remember a few years ago, we, we had some pretty good surface fishing days you know, mid to late April where we'd spend most of the afternoon just head hunting with, uh, you know, a cripple or, uh, or just a done, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we get just a little bit milder spring so we can actually fish dries and not deal with wind and, and, uh, you know, little mayflies that get blown 50 miles East before noon, you know, cause that's what happens. That wind picks up and those little sailboats, they're blown clear to Wamsutter from here, which Wamsutter's a good ways away out in the middle of the Red Desert. That's kind of a joke we got. So, Where can listeners follow you on any social medias? How can they hire you to take them out fishing and anything else well, they need to find you online with? Uh, it's pretty simple. Google search um, Wyoming Fishing Company. You know, we're, we're the original fishing company around these parts. That's what we do. I'm almost to the point now to where I can I don't have to rely on guiding a couple snowmobile trips or uh, or seeding clouds, which that's the other thing I do in the winter part-time is I work for a company as a field tech as well as a generator operator uh, seeding clouds as they approach the Wind River Range. So we try to enhance the snowfall as they go up into the Wind River Mountains so the snow can be stored there into the summer. And then ship down the Green River, which goes into the Colorado, which eventually feeds people, you know, or sends that water to Arizona and Nevada and California. You know, Wyoming Fishing Company is the company I'm at. Uh, website is wyofishco.com. That's W-Y-O-F-I-S-H-C-O.com. You can find that same name on Instagram as well as Facebook. And that's about as far as, as I can go on social media because the rest just seems to get a little too complicated. But, um, yeah, just Wyoming Fishing Company. That's us. All right. Well, super. Mr. Ryan Hudson, I appreciate 
hopefully this one has audio recording for both ends. Unlike last yes, time. Yes, sir. All right, dude. Well, thank you so much for your time and good luck with the kid on the way. You bet. Thank you, Rob. It was yeah. a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.